Welcome back, friends. Last week, we began a new series, Who We Are. And we explored that from the beginning, the Christian story tells us that we were made to be together with God. That heaven and earth were always meant to overlap. But sin drove the realities apart. And because of that, what we were created for, the place where we would feel most at home at, in the presence of God, was now gone. And we were left searching and hoping and looking for heaven ever since. But the beautiful truth we learn from the Bible is that God has been on a mission ever since to bring the realities together. And through Jesus Christ, through his life and specifically his resurrection, we are given hope that one day all will be back as it was meant to be. But what about now? What does it mean for us today? What is our part in this reconciliation process? And what do we do with our longings for heaven? Today, friends, I hope to answer some of these questions. So last week, we learned that the first thing that God reveals to us is that he's a great creator. We read the following. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Note what the author is pointing to in this important verse. He's, he's significantly showing us that we are made in the image of God. This is such a revolutionary claim. It's such a huge claim to make based on all the other creation stories of that time, of all the other nations that surrounded Jewish people. This was crazy claim. And if last week we learned that we were made for a place with God, today I want us to see from this passage the fact that we were made for a role with God. Now you may ask, role? How do we get to roll from the image of God? This is the part I really want us to uh, wrestle with and to unpack today. If we're made in God's image, unlike the rest of the creation, that means there is an elevation to the created order. Humanity, it seems, is the pinnacle of creation. We are the only created beings to be given this honor. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Now, in the Bible, we are given a definition that suggests that being made in the image of God calls us to rule over the earth, which means to cultivate it, harnessing its raw potential and moving creation forward. This title, the image of God, within itself holds a role for us. Now, the whole idea of the image of God is a fascinating claim. You see, if you lived in the biblical times, you were probably used to people claiming to be the image of God. The term itself is not foreign to the original writers and readers of the text. Most everyone in those times lived under the rule of a king. And these kings proclaimed themselves to be God's image on earth, having authority to carry out the will of the gods. These kings would also create idols, statues of wood, stone, or precious metal, 
And they were also said to be physical embodiments of gods on earth or images of God. Israel, though, was the one nation that didn't view their kings as gods. They also were not allowed to create idols or images of their God. Why? Because God had already made an image of himself. Because one of the first things God does is create human beings and gives them all authority to rule over creation by making them his image. Now, we don't often ponder the significance of this teaching because whether we grew up in the church or not, our frame of reference is not the same as it was for the biblical writers. And we hold on to or have, um, or we don't have the same idea of kings or godly lineage that was attached to them. So because of that, we lose the power of this teaching. We lost the importance of the role that is deeply tied to this title. You see, at a time where the task of acting as physical embodiment of God to subdue the earth, to rule over creation, belonged only to a few elite kings, we learn that God gave the task to all humanity. To the original readers, and as it should for us, this was revolutionary concept. Just imagine how empowering and massive this is, that you have the power to do this, not just the kings, you. That all our work, all our dreams, all our hopes, desires, no matter how mundane or exciting, is in this way the task, the role that God gave us to act in his image in the day-to-day activities that humanity has been doing for thousands of years. And we do this At least we do this according to the Bible by cultivating the potential of creation and moving it forward. Unfortunately, just as often we do good and are good at ruling and stewarding the earth, we as people can be terrible, can't we? At times, um, we we use our roles to spread suffering and, and brokenness and destruction. Now, to make sense of this, would you check out this Bible Project video with me? to help us understand this point better. So if you lived in ancient Bible times, odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were gods, and they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called Selim, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel, they didn't view their kings as the God. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. It's exactly right. And that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the creator God down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. When did he do that? Let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans and he calls all of them the image of God. 
Wait, so he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly, that's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods. And then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand to new places and so on. So ruling is really the day-to-day acts of our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. Yeah, and this all sounds really nice. And humans have designed some pretty great things. But just as often we create things that cause a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice, so maybe we shouldn't actually be ruling. Yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to rule. So are they going to use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and define good and evil for themselves and use their authority for self-advantage? And in the story, they choose to define good and evil on their own terms. And so this is the Bible's depiction of the human condition. So sometimes we pull off amazingly good stuff, but just as often, despite our best intentions, we act selfishly and we create evil in the world. And so we're stuck as mediocre rulers making a mess of things. But that's not the end of the story. So the Bible goes on and it makes this claim that all of this was resolved when God bound himself to humanity through Jesus. And he showed us what it looks like to truly rule as a human. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus ruled by serving and by seeking the best for others, by putting himself underneath them and loving not just his friends, but also his enemies. And that's not a typical way to rule. And not only that, Jesus confronted the consequences of all of the evil and the death that we have created by our messed up ways of ruling. And he takes it. I mean, he lets it kill him. And so when the New Testament writers looked back to Jesus' resurrection, they see a whole new future opening up for all humanity. Jesus is a new way to be human. Yeah, that's why they called Jesus the image of God or the new human. And not only that, they also believe that Jesus' divine life and power is now available to heal and to transform us to become our life and power. And this sounds really nice, but what does it really look like? So practically, the Apostle Paul said it looks like people being filled by Jesus' own presence and spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and integrity and gentleness and self-control. He says this is the new humanity that God wants to create in us so that we become people in whom God's image is being restored, people who will move the human project forward. And that's actually how the story of the Bible ends. It's a renewed world where God is on his throne and his servants are all around him, but they're the ones ruling over this new world, taking it into new, uncharted territory with Jesus as their healer and their guide. Our role 
just like our longings, which search for a place we were made for, is also searching to find fulfillment in our calling. Now, most of us at some point in our lives have struggled to find our calling, our purpose in this often difficult and confusing world. We look for, for this fulfillment in our careers, in our volunteer work, in starting a business, or in raising a family. The great news is that God did create us with a calling to be co-rulers alongside God. And though humanity's role might have been tarnished by sin, through Jesus, we are now restored and commissioned to develop creation and to take it into a new horizon toward God's intention of new heaven and new earth. Friends, here's what's really important for us to understand. When we come to know that our lives have always been meant to have a role, a part to play, um, a part that is bigger than ourselves, we are able to dream. And when we are able to dream, we are not set back by our limitations in life, but instead we are inspired to work through our limitations with creativity. When we come to know this reality, it is then our life begins to be filled with purpose. We begin to unearth and understand our why. Friends, I want to stress today that it is paramount to know your why. Why do you do what you do? I want to suggest that knowing your why will help you live with integrity and hope. Knowing your why will change everything for you. Now, Viktor Frankl, famous neurologist, psychologist, and Holocaust survivor, famously said, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. You see, Victor was trained in psychology and neurology and had achieved some notoriety when the Nazis sent him to Auschwitz in 1944. It was the most horrible and dehumanizing experience. Surviving that experience enabled Victor to understand something very deep about the human nature, which formed the heart of his psychological theory. He noticed that there was a difference among those at the camp who survived the experience and those who did not. The difference stemmed from the sense of a purpose. Those who seemed to have a purpose to keep going, those who had a why in their life, fared better. Victor survived the experience of the concentration camp because he realized that there was an important task he personally needed to complete the completion of his manuscript. He had been working it for years. This manuscript later became one of the most influential books of the post-war period, A Man's Search for Meaning. Victor held to the thread that he had a responsibility in life. He could not give it up. Now, this, of course, did not prevent Victor from experiencing deep suffering, loss, pain, People died. He suffered greatly. He was not immune, but having a hope and a, and a purpose allowed him to keep going and more than keep going, achieve incredible success. What we see in this one example is the reality that plays out in life every day. We are not immune to suffering or to challenges in life. 
But understanding our purpose, our why, gives us the ability to work and live despite the limitations in a flourishing way. The why gives us hope, but also significance. Friends, what I want us to see in our lives and in this biblical story is the reality that we were made for a place with, a, with God and we are made for a role with God. Our life has a role. Our life has a why. We were created with a responsibility. This is why we search and look and claw and dream and hope. This biblical story not only invokes a deep ancient reality, but it powerfully makes sense of our longings and our desires. Honestly, friends, I believe that today, so much of our anxiety, so much of our worries and uncertainties are based on elevating the wrong things in life. The complications of life tend to put our focus on the wrong things. We begin to align our purposes with our rights and demands. Friends, rights are important, but they are not the be-all of our existence. There is a deeper level that we must recognize that will help us organize our lives. You see, our daily life isn't so much associated or predicated on rights, though we insist on them. Our life depends on something much deeper. It depends on responsibility. We were made for a role with God. We were made for responsibility. Because responsibility exposes your why. The reason you do what you do exposes your why. It exposes your pursuit, your heart. If your why is selfish or out of line with God's purposes, you will search and fight and demand for power, for wealth, for success, and your why will expose your heart. Think about it in the biblical story. This is why the prophets constantly expose the hearts of the priests and kings in the Bible. Because even though the priests would do what was required of them by the religious law, and the kings would do what was required of them, they would sacrifice, they would set up days of feasts, we see that their hearts were far from God, and God was having none of it. Their why was power, greed, wealth, and it exposed their hearts. Look at what Jesus says when he directly quotes prophet Hosea about this while rebuking the Pharisees, uh, the religious people of his time. He says in Matthew, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus exposes their why. God wasn't looking for robots to do work or religious duty. He was inviting people back to their original purpose of partnership partners, co-creators with God, moving the creation forward for human flourishing, not for the purposes of selfish gain and greed and power. What we learn in the human condition from the biblical story is that you and I, we were made for a place with God and significantly, we were made for a role with God. When we recognize this powerful truth, we find a hope. We find a reason. We find a revolutionary re reality 
that reveals to us that responsibility is what gives your life meaning. Friends, and we get this wrong so many times. Because when we talk about responsibility, we often focus on what? On duty. But that's not exactly what responsibility is. Yes, it has an aspect of duty, but that's not precise enough. You need responsibility in your life because your responsibility gives your life meaning. You need meaning in your life because your life is difficult. It's bounded in the broken space we live in. It's limited. It doesn't always overlap with God's space as we learned last week. Responsibility gives you meaning because it exposes what you live for. It exposes your why. It exposes your part in the world to bring about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We play a part in reconciling the two realms back together. It was always meant to be this way for God and humans to work together to reconcile and to bring the overlap back. And friends, some of us need to reflect. You know what? I would say all of us need to reflect on what is our why in life and what is giving us meaning. The biblical story exposes our hearts, exposes our desires, exposes our need for responsibility, exposes our need for responsibility aligned with God. When we uh, determined to work apart from God, we create chaos, injustice, pain, destruction. When we find our why in God, we begin to co-create and partner in a, in a world that seeks justice, peace, equality, giving people the rights we so desperately want and need. But this only happens when we take responsibility for our God-given role as co-creators as image bearers of God. We were never, never meant to be passive observers. So whether you're a church person or not, whether you're just checking us out or trying to figure out what's next for you or what life is all about, I want to remind us today that the church, that is people who follow Jesus, they have always had a mission. The church was always called to do justice, mercy, grace, and humility. These can no longer be passive statements. We must take the responsibility to live out, to offer, to fight for mercy, justice, and grace. We must be agents of change in this world. Friends, can I ask a pointed question? This responsibility that we have from the beginning, this role that we have been trusted with, if it's a mandate both from the beginning and through Jesus' commands, how are we doing at that? Last week's Bible Project video said that whenever Jesus went, or wherever Jesus went, he created pockets of heaven on earth. Pockets of God's space overlapped with our space. Today, we are seeing that our role is similar. We are called into create these pockets of heaven. So my question is, are we creating pockets of heaven wherever we go? Am I creating pockets of heaven in my interactions? Are you creating pockets of heaven in your interactions? Online, in person, behind people's backs? Are you creating pockets of grace and mercy? 
We were always meant to be partners with God, moving creation forward. And when we do, we will find our meaning and purpose. We will find our why. We will find a life that we have been longing for all along. Because we were made for a place with God. But we were also made for a role with God. Now please let me, allow me to close today with this prayer that Jesus taught. Would you pray this with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.